I want to begin with a prayer. I'll pray this prayer at the end too. Such that you might be familiar with it. Some of the words. Dear Father, we long to see your kingdom come to this world as many times and in as many ways as possible during our lifetime. We ask for healing, deliverance, salvation, the dead to be raised. We choose to plant as many seeds as we can in our lifetime so that the crop you harvest will last for eternity. Knowing this will neither be quick nor easy, we ask you for the courage and strength to follow you for a lifetime. May the glory be yours. I'll pray it again. Dear Father, we long to see your kingdom come to this world as many times and in as many ways as possible during our lifetime. We ask for healing, deliverance, salvation and the dead to be raised. We choose to plant as many seeds as we can in our lifetime so that the crop you harvest will last for eternity. Knowing this will neither be quick nor easy, we ask you for the courage and strength to follow you for a lifetime. May the glory be yours. Amen. I want to read two passages of scripture. The first is from 2 Corinthians. As if by, here it is, magic, technology. I must go on boasting, Paul writes. Although there is nothing to be gained, I will go on to the visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up in the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise. He heard inexpressible things, things that man is not permitted to tell. I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself except about my weaknesses. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain so that no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say. And in Acts chapter 10, verse 30 and following. Cornelius answered, Four days ago I was praying in my house at this hour at three in the afternoon. Suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest at the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to the very thing that the Lord has commanded us to tell you. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee and after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because... 
God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God has already chosen. By us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and dead. All the prophets testified about him that everyone who believes in him will receive forgiveness of sin through his name. And while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? They have, been, they have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. In this theme that we've been covering of living life in the Spirit, Brent Cantillon, I think he's Ben Cantillon's dad, for those who watch the little credits of songs. Not impressed, are you? Anyway, Brent Cantillon says, By far the greatest need today is the Holy Spirit's transformation that causes our hearts to love souls enough to try with all of our strength and with all of his available and promised power to bring people to Jesus. Our land is desperately godless and has lost its way. People die every moment far from God. We must have the Holy Spirit's power and enabling. Arrogantly holding a position on the Spirit, whether in or on, while the lost perish around us, is pharisaical. In other words, we need Jesus. We need his Holy Spirit. Amen, we say? Sermon finished, no. Uh, Amen, that would be, wouldn't it? (laughs) Be surprised. I just want to talk a a little bit, first and foremost, around living life in the spirit of what it means a little more. To encourage us to keep pressing on, to living this lifetime journey of courage and seeing God at work. When we talk about the things of the spirit, there's there's sometimes a little bit of a, there's an eagerness. I think there's an eagerness, isn't there, in us for more of God. But have you noticed in Christian circles there's a bit of competitiveness as well? Have you ever been in that place where you're in a meeting, just like now, it's great, loving, loving worship and, and praying, and you kind of pray out to God, and there's a real temptation, and, and sometimes we give into it, to just kind of peek a little bit and see who's engaging with God and who isn't. You're laughing and you're smiling in that way of, yeah, that's me too. Or when you've been to a, a, a meeting where they've been praying and people have been really encountering the power of God, have you ever been in that place where you're like, please, please, Holy Spirit, come and meet with me? I want, not because you're kind of like uh, just in a bad place, but actually genuinely wanting God. Can you can, nod if you're with me? Over this side? Big nods from Duncan. Thank you, Duncan. And really eager for God. And, and, you know, God's ministering to some. And some people are saying they've encountered God and had a word and someone's been healed. And, and there you are, kind of, God, I'm here. I'm here still. Have you ever been in that place? Yeah. 
And sometimes you get frustrated and sometimes you get, it propels you to seek God more. And sometimes you get disappointed. Sometimes you get disillusioned. And sometimes, sometimes, if we're really honest, we might just fake it a bit. Just so we fit in. Oh, I felt, you know, kind of, oh, shake your hands. <laughs> a little twitch like that. Anyone associate? Cara did. Thanks for being honest. <laughs> I think everyone else is. There's something about wanting more of God. That, that's right, God, that we are hungry for more of him, for that welling up, that filling of God. But there's something about our kind of, the way we're wired is that Sometimes it's, it's very much about me. We start off by singing, it's about you, Jesus. It's about you, Jesus. And I just want to, to remind me, because I, I had to remind myself of this, um, that when I was a student, I was just remembering this encounter, I, I was reading a book that was all about living the spirit-filled life or something like that, and I was really, really eager. Still am. But really, really eager for God. And I remember on my little horrible carpet in my student room that was purple and it was a bit of a dingy place in this little student house. And I was kneeling, I was being so earnest. You couldn't have got a more earnest kind of prayer for God. You know, I lay on the floor, I knelt on the floor, I prostrated myself, I jumped up and down, more and more and more. And then after about an hour... I was a bit like, I want a cup of tea now. <laughs> and not much had happened. I was a bit, it was about, that was about four o'clock to five. And I had my cup of tea. And then I normally would go over the city to Heaton Baptist Church, where I was kind of normally in worship. And I must admit, I was a bit fed up with God. You know, because it's like, here I am. I've just given all this time and all this kind of eagerness. Genuine. You know, it wasn't, I don't think. And I was like, I was expectant of God. Not much seemed to happen. And so I was a bit like, oh so annoyed now so I thought I know I'm not going to go to that so there was a little brethren I don't know why I did this but there was this brethren church just down the road in Fenham and they had the gospel meeting I don't know why I went there but I did and it was the most dreadful you know they were so surprised to see me walk in you know walk in with all these five deers they're like oh hello and it was a gospel meeting which meant they just preached the gospel and they were delighted that someone had come in that they thought they didn't know the gospel I did but they didn't really talk to me on these hard little kind of mission chairs Anyway, my friend had been to... Do you know what I mean by mission chairs? They're really, they have them in pubs now. You know, they're, they're the hard wooden things. They've kind of sold them off from these churches. Sorry, it wasn't pews, in other words. And it wasn't comfy ones like this. And uh, anyway, my friends came back from Heaton. And they'd had the most amazing time. That God had moved and they were all like singing the spirit. And, and I was just really cross with God. I was like, what is this? I've just been crying out to you. And then I was a bit grumpy. And then I did, but why didn't you tell me to go to church? And anyway, I was just a bit fed up for a while. And I was kind of so caught up in my own sense of just being me, me, me. That I, and we, I think we do this in the charismatic world quite a lot. Of not actually blessing what God does. In scripture, so often the Bible uses the word you, and it can mean that singularly, uh, or sorry, in English translations we just use the word you, and, it, and we don't catch the nuance of if it's singular or plural. Those who speak other languages know about this. Very often in scripture, when it says you, it's not just you as in me, it's you as in us. 
be filled with the Spirit. We read that in Ephesians 5, 20, 19, 20. Um, don't get drunk of wine which leads to debauchery. It said, be filled with the Holy Spirit. We read that rightly. Me, be filled. But the letter is to the church. Church, be filled. That in this eagerness, in this desire that we have, that God is putting in, it's tomorrow night hungry. This reminder, and I just kind of sense this of God of, for us and for me, is, is not just to get caught up in the selfish, self-centered, it's about me, but it's about Jesus. And I've learned over the years kind of reflecting on that time in my little room in Three Middleton Avenue in Fenham. That actually, rather than just being really annoyed with God and kind of grumpy with my brothers and sisters, when they're touched by God and thinking, why not me? What have I done? What have I not done? What's wrong with me? What's right with them? To actually be able to bless God and say, thank you. Because they've met with you, they perhaps needed to meet with God in a particular way. And God is, just knows how we need to meet him. Do you know that? Duncan was reminding us of this morning, I think, about he is good to us, he loves us, he's not against us. So often I've been at Soul Survivor and, and kind of meetings like that, where God's, and New Wine and other places here, where God's moving on people. And there's part of me that just wells up inside and says, I want some of that. I'm thinking, oh, I want some of that. Come on. And either waving to God in my heart or you know, doing something to try and prove to God that, look, here I am. And it can't, what am I thinking? You know, when you start to analyse the kind of faith and theology behind that, it's right off beam. But rather than seeing God is at work in his church and as he alights and touches and, and blesses people, to really celebrate that. And not to think, I've been left out, but isn't it great that God is building and strengthening and blessing his people. Do you get that? It's not to see it competitively. It's not to see it as kind of like, what, what have I done or not done? God empowers us, fill us with courage and boldness. Let us know that you're alive and powerfully with us. Yeah, of course we have to ask ourselves, is there anything that's kind of holding God back or stopping God or is there rebellion or, or sin or attitudes or behaviors that God wants to deal with? But sometimes none of those things are true. But, you know, God touches sometimes people in different ways. And too often we just feel a little bit left out. God doesn't leave anyone out. I love that passage that we read in, in 2 Corinthians. I was reading it this week. And Paul kind of is, is a bit bashful and he puts it into the third person. It's him, isn't it? He's being caught up in this vision. He can't even permit. He said, it's just too marvellous. I'm not allowed to tell it because you wouldn't, well, I don't know if you wouldn't believe it or he just hasn't got the words. It's just spectacular. And I read that and I was thinking, oh, I want to do that. I want to get caught up. I don't know if I'm in my body or in my spirit. Oh, wow. Well, I aspire. But then equally, that lovely passage where Peter's there with, with Cornelius and his family. And the Gentiles, Cornelius' family, are just filled with the Spirit and they overflow with tongues. And the believers from Jerusalem go, don't go say, what about us? Come on. They rejoice and celebrate and say, praise God. Praise God for look at what God is doing. 
Look at how he's blessing this life because this life is precious. Look at how he's transforming this person because this person is precious. Not a kind of envy, jealousy, what about me? Aren't I, aren't I important too? But no, he's celebrating because God, his kingdom is advancing. Whether it's in the privacy of, of a kind of prayer time in our own home. Or as we're kind of reaching out and speaking to Christ, let's celebrate what God is doing. Someone says this, I truly believe this is one of the reasons that the movements see a diminishing of the Spirit's presence and power over time. We grieve the Spirit by fighting over him and approaching him as a means to an end. We scrap for increased market share of his available power without recognizing how much that wounds him as a person. I have this recurring picture, says the writer, of the Holy Spirit wanting to come and visit the gatherings of his people. But as he comes near, he's deeply grieved. What he, what he hears sounds just like the Finding Nemo movie. Mine, mine, mine. It's his presence in us as a united community that we need. That presence is what fills us with the courage that makes the church an unstoppable force. Nothing else. Does that make sense to anyone? Few pondering thoughts. We're eager for more of God. Eager for more of God for us all. Not as a kind of who's top on the podium. And just some thoughts, really, uh, if I can, about bringing the kingdom to people. Bringing the kingdom to people is a matter of life and death. It really is. I hope Joe doesn't mind, but I was chatting with Joe last Sunday night and she was here and she had tears in her eyes. Is it okay to share this? It's a bit late now, isn't it? I can stop now and just carry on and no one will notice. Joe's uncle died and as far as Joe knows there was this kind of sign of God's presence but as far as she knows he didn't know Jesus and a real grief wait at the, lot, at the finality of death the gospel the kingdom is a matter of life and death Nick Cuthbert talked about it one of the sessions with us I think it might have been with the leadership teams but it may not have been I lost track in all the things he talked about how he, he, he thinks that in Britain in the West particularly he described it as a creeping universalism do you remember him saying that if you weren't in the was it, it was in the leaders thing creeping universalism and, and it really struck, it's been something I've been pondering about what that means is he thinks that basically the church has lost this Mindset that it is a matter of life and death. Creeping universally means kind of there's just gradually this change in perception that we'll all be all right in the end, won't we? You know, we want people to find Jesus because that's okay, but kind of they'll be all right in the end, won't they? Just if they're sincere, we're told. Just if they kind of believe truly and are good enough. How could God kind of say to a good person, well, you didn't know Jesus there, you know, creeping universal says, we'll all be all right in the end. 
But actually, much as it would be nice to preach something like that, um, there are scriptures that point us rightly to the enormous love of God that Jesus has forgiven all people. But I have to take the fact that why did Jesus come? If we'd be all right in the end, why did he come? If it was that, you know, he might have just come well just to die and he could deal with our sins just kind of quietly. No one would know. And that would make the way. Why does he send the church out to tell? Why does he compel us to go out into all the world and tell of the gospel if it's not for the fact that it's a matter of life and death? People need to hear. He says, Paul says, faith comes through hearing. How can they hear if no one goes to tell? It's a matter of life and death. And this matter of the kingdom is a battle. It is a battle because we know that we are opposed in the spiritual realms. It's not against flesh and blood but against the principalities and powers who blind and enslave, who hold captive in their sway the lost. And the kingdom of God comes. Repent. Change your thinking. Believe by entering in. A verse I've been reflecting on with some of the young people. The time has come, says Jesus. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Why would that be necessary if we just got in anyway? Repent, change of thinking, change of life. We're called to bring the kingdom to people. You know, we're authorized to do this. You know, one of the things I was, you know, as I've been trying to encourage us to live in the spirit, move in the spirit... Pray for the sick and talk to people about Jesus. Engage with mission. Of, of, and Nick was talking about it. Do you remember about using, just being nice to people? There's a great story at the house group leaders. He's not here, so I'll tell it. Uh, he wouldn't mind. Um, uh, Pete Barry was really impacted by Nick Cuthbert's. Uh, we had a service last week. We were sharing news and he missed it. Uh, Pete Barry was, uh, I think, in Spain last week doing filming. He's, he's a cameraman, makes movies. And he was really struck by Nick's phrase, this wasn't the leaders, he t- said about how Nick had been in a conference and after three days said to the Christian delegates, do you know the names of any of the people who are serving in this place? Do you remember him saying that? And there was a real challenge and that really struck Pete and he said, right, okay, I- I'm going to take that on board. And he was at this place filming for this conference, it was a difficult project he was doing, but he made it his task to go and talk to the security guard and the reception desk and the people that were around serving and get to know their names and ask how their day was. And he said it was amazing how his eyes suddenly started to see the, the invisible people. And you know, as he checked out at the end of the thing, they said, this is, you've been the most amazing person. This is the best conference we've ever had because of you. Isn't that great? And he didn't even tell them about Jesus. He just noticed them. Noticed them. I've lost my train of thought now. One of the things I'm eager to do is move more in the spirit, you know, in the spiritual gifts. But I must admit, when I do that, there's always a doubt and a fear of thinking, I don't really know what to do. Do you know that? I really don't know what to do a lot of the time. And I really think, I wish I'd have had a time that I could go away and train and just like spend some time with people who knew how to do this because I really don't know how to do this. 
And there's a really benefit of that. There really is. But there's also a truth that says, Jesus says, you're authorised in my name to go out and heal the sick. Pray for those who are oppressed to see them set free. And even see the dead raised. To preach the good news and be my witnesses and see people enter the kingdom of God. And I kind of need to remind myself again and again of that. In the battle, I haven't had the training. I haven't had the expertise. I'm groping my way, finding out how to do this stuff very often. Heart in my mouth, kind of thinking, help. And I remember that Jesus has just given me the authority and the permission to do this. And that's enough because he wants us to obey. There's a real kind of trap of thinking, I don't know enough, therefore I won't even try. I love it that the disciples just go out because Jesus tells them and they just start to do it. And there are times they come back and say, we don't know how to, to deliver this person. Uh, and Jesus says, well, this one's through prayer and probably fasting. And, but look, they're set free. The kingdom of God is at hand. That in this battle, in this living life in the spirit, that it is a matter of life and death and this compelling and this compulsion for us just to go and do it. You know, we, can, we do put on training and we encourage you to be part of that. But just go and do it, brothers and sisters. In the name of Jesus, go and say, please fill me with God, God and I'm one of your children and you've told me to do this. I will just simply obey. I'm not beating you on the head with this, but just say, go and do it. Go and do it because he's with you. Is that okay? Do you want a bit more? I did give the option at the start of the service and you said, uh, no. It's a battle. Isaiah 61, which is quoted by Jesus, uh, and um, it's kind of manifesto in the synagogue. The, the beautiful phrase, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed and proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Rolls up the scroll and gives it back and sits down. Why would Jesus need to say that if there wasn't a battle, if there wasn't the need for rescue, if there wasn't the need for redemption, if there weren't the fact that there were people trapped and need to to be set free and released and given sight and hope and liberation? Colossians uh, 1.13 and 14 says this, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption. The forgiveness of sins. There's a battle. He's rescued us as we turn to him. As we give liberty to repent and believe, we move from the power and the rule and the authority of darkness into light. It's a battle, brothers and sisters, that there are those in darkness. It's a matter of life and death. Yet Christ calls us, commissions us to go out. Ephesians 9, sorry, 1, 9 to 10. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be a put effect when the times have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven on earth together under one head, even Christ. Implicit in that is saying that he didn't need to do that if it was all in Christ anyway. But people, the world are in rebellion and rejection and bondage and slavery. And the rule of Satan. And yet Christ comes. The mission of Jesus is given to us and he invites us to join. It's to bring real people along a journey of freedom leading to restoration with the one who made them. 
The mission of Jesus is this, and it's one given to us. And he invites us to join, to bring real people along a journey of freedom, leading to restoration with the one who made them. It's about a battle that we're engaged in. It's about Jesus restoring people through his life and death. You know, Satan casts about and brings doubt and deception. Jesus speaks truth. Satan and the the devil's goal is to keep us separated from God throughout our life and living a shadow of that which we should be. Yet Jesus, the great shepherd, finds a lost sheep, brings them home, restores them to the Father. Satan's goal is disintegration and destruction in every possible permutation. Jesus says, I come to bring freedom. Again and again you see it. Jesus bringing truth. The woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. Jesus speaks truth to her and sees that truth percolating through the kind of false worship and the false kind of thinking about God and the way life works. Loving her with integrity and yet speaking truth. And she opens herself up and becomes a wonderful evangelist. Many in the village believe. Jesus brings truth where there are lies. Jesus brings reconciliation. One of the great things God does, he reconciles us to him and to each other. So important in this kingdom business. Not only to bring truth and the power and name of Jesus... But reconciliation. Satan loves to bring separation. He loves to alienate. He loves to cause discord and enmity. In Ephesians, we're told that Jesus breaks down the dividing wall of hostility between Jews and Greeks and between one another and between ourselves and God. Jesus bridges the gap, makes, is able to be one again. So much of his kingdom ministry of bringing in those who are separate and marginalized, separated. And he brings freedom. He heals the sick, frees the oppressed, restores relationships and damaged lives, and moves in the power of the kingdom. I don't know if you know, as Peter preached, as you heard it read early in Acts 10, 38. Let me just remind you. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. Dallas Willard phrases it like this. The rescued, that's us. Are sent out as the rescuers. Rescued become the rescuers. What a bunch of lifesavers you are. Did you hear that story this week in the news of an American lifeguard who got the sack because he saved the life of someone? Only in America. It's true. He was employed by this company to lifeguard, to save lives. And it was on a private beach, and they said, if you go, the, you know, the private beach is to this point at the sign, and, and anyone beyond that is not your problem. 
It is ridiculous. And the lifeguard was in the tower and this call came in and said, there's a man drowning and he's over there. And this young man, he's in his 20s, had the decision to say, well, do I keep my job or do I save a life? And he ran past the sign and he saved the life. And he went back to the station and was sacked. (laughs) It's crazy, isn't it? But you know what? I was really heartened. Loads of his life-saving buddies have got themselves sacked or they've resigned because they just said, this is stupid. Brothers and sisters, we're in a battle. Yeah, we're seeking for more of Jesus and the fullness of him. It's all about Jesus. To know him and to be secure in him, to be filled with him, to be equipped by him, to be confident in him. To know his love, to know his empowerment. Steve Chalk, he's not the first to say this. He says he doesn't worry about if people fall over in the spirit. It's how they get up that matters. In other words, as we seek God and, and encounter him, yeah, we want more of him. But it's such that we go out and rescue the lost and are equipped to save. And it's such that we're praying and if, if, you're, if you're encountering the Spirit of God, we're not going to be looked jealously in the ambition and think, why not me? But we're celebrating and say, God, thank you that you're doing something in them such that they can be sent out and live for you more effectively and persuasively and powerfully and be frontline battlers, rescuers, reaching to the lost. And may we be spurred on in our prayers and our thinking and our obedience I know I'm preaching kind of to the converted in this and I tell myself so often because I so often get comfortable and forget I'm going to pray this prayer that I prayed at the beginning and I'm going to leave a pause and ask you if it's your prayer too just to repeat the sentence You can do it out loud or in your heart. Let's stand together. So I'll read each sentence and then pause for you to repeat it if you so wish. Dear Father, we long to see your kingdom come to this world as many times and as in many ways as possible during our lifetime. That's probably too long for you, isn't it? So, dear Father, we long to see your kingdom come to this world as many times and in as many ways as possible during my lifetime. We ask for healing, deliverance, salvation. And the dead to be raised. We choose to plant as many seeds as we can in our lifetime so that the crop you harvest will last for eternity. Knowing this will neither be quick nor easy. We ask you for the courage and strength 
follow you for a lifetime. May the glory be yours. And I pray, Father, for us to repent of a mindset that just thinks, well, it'll all be all right in the end for everyone. Send us out as the rescued to be the rescuers. Dear Lord, may we not sit complacently on the sidelines as people drown and think it's not my job. Lord, I know you wouldn't do this, but give us the sack if that's our mentality. And I do pray, Holy Spirit, as life savers, commissioned and authorized by you, for the skills we need and the experience to be gained, that we should save the lost in Jesus' name. And we need you so much more. For courage and strength and boldness. Because it's easier when we're in a gathering. But it's tough when we're on our own. But you're there, Lord. And I pray for the discouraged and the downhearted and think I've tried and I've tried and I've tried them up again and push them out and Lord I pray for fruit and Lord save us from doubt and cynicism and scepticism and says well yeah we kind of believe theoretically but it's for another time and it's probably another place but not the here and now forgive us of that for you're the God of the here and now in this place in this time right now the kingdom of God is near the time has come repent and believe the good news Brothers and sisters, that's a call we're sent out with. But brothers and sisters, that's a reminder for us, the church. Repent and believe the good news. Even to the Gentiles. Even to the far-off tribes and the most difficult neighbor next door. The kingdom of God is at hand. I love that song we sung, You Are Alone can rescue you alone can say we lift up our eyes we lift up our hands you're the giver of life we can't save ourselves but you do and gives a love for your things